You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Boll, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Take a former regular and special education teacher on a mission to see all students learn based on their strengths and abilities rather than their challenges, and you have an understanding of Linda Zussman, my guest today. Linda is an advocate in Orange County who brings a whole-child approach to her work as an advocate. She begins advocacy by fully understanding each individual child's circumstances and then, through a collaborative approach with the district, works to effectively secure the needed services for that child. Enjoy the conversation. Linda Zussman, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Well, thank you, Michael, for having me. Well, it certainly is nice to have you here, and I wanted to start off with the first basic question is, what sort of services as an advocate do you provide? Well, after a thorough evaluation, I attend IEP meetings so that the student will receive the appropriate placement and services to meet their psychological and educational needs. This includes interviewing the family. Uh, Usually it's the mother, but sometimes it's both the mother and the father, the child uh, possibly visiting the home and the classroom, and reviewing all the reports and test scores. Um, The FAPE law, as you know, uh, states Mm -hmm. by law that all children are entitled to a free and appropriate education, and I support that. So lots of people listening will want to know, what parts of California do you cover? All of Southern California. Uh, Last week I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I also can consult by phone nationally. I live in Newport Newport Beach. Okay, so that's probably your primary area then? Yeah, Orange County. Mm -hmm. All right, got it. So, you know, lots of people have reasons why they decide to become an advocate. And yours is a little little bit interesting in that you were a special education and regular classroom teacher first prior to coming over to the advocate side. Tell us about Mm -hmm. that and how it influenced Mm -hmm. your decision to do what you do now. I love, love, love being an advocate. After years of teaching, I realized that there is a real need uh, for support for our special needs children. And um, when I developed a learning lab for the Newport Beach School District, I observed the struggling students uh, be successful and their Mm -hmm. self-esteem soared. Uh, And they weren't getting this in the regular classroom because they weren't getting the one-on-one attention. All educators need to identify the student's style of learning, and they weren't doing that. Are they a visual learner? Are they an auditory learner? Um, And then after a while, I realized there are really no disabled students, only disabled teaching methods. This isn't to criticize the teachers either because they're, they have 35 kids in the classroom. But these children were pulled out and given the attention they needed. It's time we focus on the students' abilities instead of their disabilities and find out what are their gifts, what are their talents, what are their interests, because you have to tie that into the academics. So, Linda, you mentioned, you know, 35 kids in the classroom for a teacher. Is it possible mm-hmm. for a teacher to see what you're talking about here, you know, finding uh, the strengths within the child yet still maintain uh, lessons for the other 34 or 30 kids in the class? Well, you know, it's funny. I sometimes do an authentic writing workshop 
for children. And we get a better field if they're more visual, more auditory, their interests, their hobbies. Um, hmm. And I could tell you a lot about a child just by answering 10 questions. Um, I think the teachers need to zero in on um, how best their students learn. Perhaps if there's two fourth grade teachers, and I'm not kidding about this, one could take the auditory learners and the other one could take uh. the visual learners. Wouldn't that be something? Um, that would be kind of if, fun. If they have a weakness, I call it a challenge. Sometimes mm-hmm. they need to see and hear at the same time. If you're a visual learner, the teacher might as well be speaking French in the front of the classroom. They have to see it. They have to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to really deal with how can you reach the child? How best can you reach the child with their learning style? So, you know, there's lots of interesting things about being an advocate, and you've been doing advocacy for a little while now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What do you find the most interesting thing about advocacy, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's what keeps you going? Oh, I love what I do. The most interesting part of being an advocate is working with the family, the child, the school, and the team of educators to make a win-win situation for the child. You know, I'm not there to intimidate the educators. Um, also to support the child to find their authentic self through the education process. Um, And once they do this, their self-esteem goes up and they tune in more to the academics. Now, most advocates I talk to when they talk about their style, which you mentioned, Mm -hmm. is that they talk about a collaborative approach. Is Mm -hmm. is that the only way or the best way to do it? Can you you stay collaborative the entire time? Absolutely. I mean, I try and work with the teachers. And again, you know, it's a plan. It's modifying their Mm -hmm. program. It's changing their curriculum um, if they need it to be changed for that child. Um, Maybe they need to do a wall mural or take an oral exam instead of a written exam. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of ways of introducing testing and um, setting up the educational program. Now, Linda, you mentioned before the show that you had worked with about 500 families now. Are you almost on a one-to-one name basis with people in your local districts, do you think, at this point? I mean, you must know everybody, right? Well, um, So they're happy to see Linda walk in the door? What's that? Well, I I am well-known in Newport Beach, but um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing because when you see... Uh, Okay, here's a perfect example. I was in a restaurant, and uh, a busboy came up and said, Mrs. Zussman, do you remember me? And (laughs) I sure did, and I had him in high school. And Mm -hmm. uh, and he's working. I mean, you know, he's he's always there, and uh, I just got a big kick out of seeing him and see that he has a job, and he, he did graduate high school. It's fun to have that kind of shared history with a, a former oh, yes. student, isn't it? Oh, yes. 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 So, of course... I, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, go ahead. Go on. Well, I actually prefer working with special ed children over regular children, uh, regular uh, students, um, because when you see their progress, it gives me so much um, enjoyment. 
Hmm. Sometimes with uh, special education, it's it's more incremental progress that you see. It yeah. might take uh, six weeks, and then you see a change. And you're like, Woo-hoo. oh yes. the, cel- yeah. the celebration is quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you about challenges that advocates face today. So mm-hmm. in your time as an advocate, do you see any trends or challenges that are coming greater, or do you see things getting mm-hmm. better? What's what's sort of that arc of challenges that has happened well, today? As an advocate, I feel that it's a challenge to find the right educational environment to meet the needs of the special ed student. Um, let me give you an example. When okay. I was teaching sixth grade, and I was a young girl then, I was teaching uh, regular school. I had two populations of students. Half the class yeah. were regular students. This was in Chicago. And the other half were special ed students. The unit was on Italy. So the regular students read the textbook and answered the questions. I knew my special ed kids weren't going to be able to do that. A lot of them had dyslexia. So the the special ed kids created a wall mural, and they loved it because being visual learners, they took the information down from the encyclopedias. Sorry, we didn't have the Internet then. I now saying I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> no, um, no, no, the internet's not I'm that sorry, new, is this it? was like in the 80s, you know, yeah. late mm-hmm. the 70s, we didn't have it. So they drew and painted uh, pictures, uh, designing a unit from Italy, the arts, the climate, the people, the architecture, the history. Mm-hmm. And instead of reading from the traditional textbook, and let me tell you, this mural was gorgeous. Um, it was very artistic, bright colors. They got it. And they each took a section. Um, so my question to you, Michael, is which group do you think succeeded with the learning process? The creative special ed kids or the regular kids working from the textbook? Well, from my understanding or belief as a teacher is the more you are involved in your own learning where you're doing something actively rather than passively, mm-hmm. the more you're going to learn. So I'm going to go mm-hmm. with that group. Yes. How do yes. I do? You, 100%. You know, oh, good. Um, <laughs> let me tell you about autism. And I've learned this because I've dealt with all kids on the spectrum, even the ones that are suffering severely. Art, mm-hmm. music, and meditation can change the chemistry of the brain for the better. And they know this. This is proven. I mm-hmm. just read a sure. medical book from a very high-end medical Harvard doctor. Um, this is what is called neuroplasticity. And when you bring the arts, the music, uh, the meditation into their world, uh, everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah, and that's what, I, that's, what can, can yeah. that's what I did with the mural. That's what I did with the mural. Um, I so will I, give you one more example, if you want another please. example. I do, okay, I now, do, please. Okay, that was a sixth grade class. High school students, okay. And this was covered in the LA Times mm-hmm. Daily Pilot, my program, not to toot my horn, but... Um, no, that's cool, they, though. Well, they did this because the principal came in and said, wow, you got them working. Um, it was a group of high school students. Um, I introduced to them... Rainer Maria uh, Wilka. Are you familiar with him? He was an early 1900s poet. 
Yes, okay. he, he's a poet from the 19, early 1900s, and he came up with the eight principles to have a joyous life. And I was okay. reading about him in Barnes & Noble one summer before I was going to start the class, and it was the base for all psychology books in the 1950s. Of course, when he wrote that, we didn't know that. But it was eight steps. And if you like, I could read the eight principles very quickly, and then I could tell you how he worked it into the program. Sure, let's do it. Okay, the eight principles. One, be patient with ourselves and others. Two, practice humility. Three, trust our intuition. Four, be personally responsible for our own discipline. That's a biggie. Five, solitude. (laughs) Six, concentrate through contemplation. Seven, appreciate beauty and good in nature and things. And eight, love the poetic spirit every day. This is a little Buddha, but anyhow, um, Mm -hmm. the high school students took each step and they wrote how it applies to them. So it was one page for each step. Then they combined Mm -hmm. the eight eight steps and they created a one-page composition reflecting their life value. And we talked about it all week and we just focused on one at a time. Well, sure enough, they presented it at their Thanksgiving table to their parents. This was oh, a nice. big deal. And this yeah, project sure. was a boost for their self-esteem and as a language arts assignment. Do you see the difference than just doing a language art assignment? They brought mm-hmm. them, their, their authentic self into this assignment. So I believe in self-esteem first and academic second. Yeah, there's a bit of a move towards social-emotional learning now, which what oh, you're yes. talking about, of course, supports oh, yes. that, is that when the kids come out of school, whatever that means, they mm-hmm. are they ready for the world and just having a good That's life right. themselves? That's right. And, you know, just the one, I mean, we really focused on being personally responsible for our own discipline. And it really comes down for everybody in life. I mean, I know mm-hmm. adults that don't do this well. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like teaching them to take responsibility, and um, and that just grows their self-esteem. Now, Linda, I want to ask you a question about parents. Mm-hmm. So if, when a new parent comes to you, they're new to mm-hmm. the whole special education world, and their child is just starting to enter that world, and they right. say, Linda, what do I do? What, like, what are some of the first bits of advice you give those parents when they call you? Well, I first tell them that sometimes they're a square trying to fit into a circle, and you can't do that. And you have to take the child as the child is. And again, Mm -hmm. really focus on their strengths and their interests and their hobbies, uh, finding out what kind of learner are they, and uh, meeting with the educators, trying to work with as a team where everybody pitches in. And creates mm-hmm. the right uh, environment for this child to succeed. So we, you make it sound like we should always come back to the strengths and use that as our continuing guide. Oh, absolutely. Regardless we're frustrated or whatever, but that just keep well, coming you know, back I to that. I do an interview. It's a very simple interview, a couple of pages, mm-hmm. with the mother privately or the parents. And I find out uh, a lot about the child. Uh, strengths and weaknesses, or I call them challenges. Um, and then from there, I've, I ask, what, what is the problem? How do you see it? 
Uh, and then I interviewed the child and I get it. I, I'm really perceptive with children. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to visit the house as well. I visit their room. I find out who they are. Um, and from there, we develop a plan. Now, some parents need testing and some parents have had testing done and they need to go to the IEP meeting. So ultimately, it's is testing indicated. We used to call it a student study team. And if so, test the child and come back to the table with the results mm-hmm. to see if special education services are indicated. All right. Okay. Um, so we're getting towards the end of our time here, and I wanted mm-hmm. a chance for you to tell us what's a good way for people to get in contact with you. Well, they could go to my website. It's ABC Special Education Consulting dot com. Uh, they could also email me LZ Linda Zussman. 28 at Cox, C-O-X dot net. And they could Google my name and find me on the internet. And I'll make sure to have all that information in our show notes as well, in case people just want to head to the website to see it. Linda Zussman, thanks so much for all your time today. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon. <laughs>